0: just thank you for the opportunity that Steve had with this uh, at cousins and do pray for this uh, woman Lord you you um, you um, do have compassion towards those the orphan and the widow and uh, those who are weak and um, have been even oppressed in a sense by the world um, and by those uh, closest to them so we just pray for this lady uh, we pray in particular especially that you would draw her to yourself that she would find, that uh, she would be able to, to know you. Um, so, Lord, we just pray that you bless the conversation that was had there. Father, we pray for Eden's dad. Um, pray that you would uh, help him to see the sufficiency of your sacrifice and your willingness to save. Um, your willingness to save uh, to the outermost. And so we just pray that you would bless the conversations that Eden and um, the Lears are having with him um, and pray that you grant him repentance, pray that you would clear away the the, the false thoughts and ideas of uh, Catholicism, oh Lord God. So we we just pray for your help in that. Lord, we pray as we come this morning to consider more of your attributes and character. We pray that this would not be... Um, Merely uh, adding to intellectual uh, knowledge, although that's necessary, oh Lord God, but that it would move our hearts to love you more. So, Lord, we pray that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, um, we've kind of been the last couple of weeks under the heading of talking under the heading of God's sovereignty. Um, and remember, God's sovereignty is just his. Uh, Lordship, God's lordship and rule over um, all. That's what it means. But God's sovereignty entails um, many of his other attributes. So last week we talked about God's power uh, and the nature of that power. Um, uh, God can do all things that are within his character uh, and desire. Um, So God doesn't do everything he could do but he does do everything according to his uh, desires and his character. Uh, Now what we want to talk about this week is God's presence, uh, which is typically called, we think of God's omnipresence, um, which also would fit under God's sovereignty. If you think about God's sovereignty as his lordship and rule overall, then you have to have some manifestation of presence to be able to say that I As a king, I claim this area, I claim this territory. Um, So even that idea of God's presence fits under that headache. So where we're going to start with this is just, and you probably already have in mind, uh, a couple passages that would speak to God's um, presence everywhere. Uh, So the way we're going to do this is we're going to look at some basic passages about God's presence, and then we're going to kind of... um, look at passages that, on the surface, would seem to be in tension with that. Um, But um, we'll we'll pull it all together and make sense of it. So, uh, let's start with Psalm 139. And someone go ahead and read Psalm 139, 1 through 12. Don't forget the psalm heading, which is part of Inspired Scripture. To clarify, um, the uh, the heading that is inspired is "To the Choir Master, Psalm of David." Uh, the other one that's in bold italics is is uh, just the editor's um, kind of title of the theme. But in any case, that's not what we're focused on. What we're focused on is what this says about God's presence. Uh, what does it What does it say about God's presence? Okay. Yeah. So it's there's an intimate knowledge there, which means it's also personal uh, acquaintance. Okay, but what about God's presence? What do we see? Okay, so that's more knowledge, right? So um, there's that idea that he knows all of this stuff. So this psalm speaks not only to um, omnipresence, but also omniscience. But in terms of presence, God's presence. He's everywhere, right? So where shall i go from your spirit where should i flee from your presence in other words there's and then the, the psalmist go, thinks of places where in reality he can't even go physically right um but he thinks about well if i could go there uh even there you would be you would be there um and even if you you know if i thought i could hide in the dark somewhere um it, it, you would be there as well um Now, the other thing you notice here is not just, it's not just some, like, dry, uh, raw uh, fact of presence, but it's very, uh, it's intimate, it's active, it's close, right? So, in particular, um, we see the idea, or at least the indication here, that there's nowhere in creation where God is not. And uh, this presence that God demonstrates here is a presence for his people It's an active presence, too. You see the language there of you hem me in behind and before, right? It's very active. Um, So it's not just that God happens to be there. Uh, There's an activity, um, at least with regard to his people, like David, who's written this, um, where he's at. Um, Yes, Mike? Yes, exactly. Right. Right. So you can kind of, on one level, you can say, the psalmist imagines places that he could possibly go and acknowledges that even if I could go there, God would be there. So that's kind of like raw omnipresence. But the way the psalmist is applying it is he's saying, he's applying it in a positive, a personal way, where he's like, no matter where I go, you are there with me, and you're there for my good, really, is the idea. So... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so at least from this psalm, what we could gather is there's nowhere in the creation where God is not. So anywhere you could imagine that you could possibly be, even if you couldn't get there, um, in the created universe, um, God would be there. Um, let's, let's see a couple more. So go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, um, Jeremiah is, uh, well, the Lord through Jeremiah is indicting the prophets who are lying, Uh, they're lying prophets, Um, and in light of that, uh, we get Jeremiah 23, 23 through twenty. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. And really, God is using what he's saying here as a way of saying, You lying prophets, you can't hide from me. Right? But what do we learn about? Uh, what, what do we learn about this, about God's presence? Can't hide. You can't hide from him. He's, very near. he's near and he's far. It fills, earth, and it fills the heavens and the earth, right? So um, sometimes you hear uh, talk about the doctrine of God's immensity, um, which is very much related to his omnipresence. But in this case, it's the idea that God's everywhere. He fills um, heaven and earth um, it, such that you cannot hide. There is no way to hide. Well,
1: and shouldn't we define what he means by a nigh god far away within this context, meaning that he can see the evil being done by the prophets?
0: Yeah, that's the point of what he's saying here. Like, that's, that's why he's declaring... You know, I'm near. I'm far. You can't hide from me, because you—I didn't send these prophets, these lying prophets. And so that's that's why he's bringing these principles up. For our purposes, we're just kind of intersecting and drawing. What does it say about God's presence? Even though here he's specifically applying it to the idea that um, you're gonna you're gonna try to speak for God and uh, lie in His name. Uh, you you can't you can't hide from God. There's no way to hide what you're doing. Okay, uh, let's do one more. Let's do 1 Kings 8.27. So 1 Kings... Um, this... 1 Kings 8... Uh, really, it's kind of the, the conclusion of Solomon building his... building the temple. And then... Kind of at the ceremony where everything's happening, where the temple is um, being put into service, inaugurated so to speak for use. Um, then Solomon in chapter eight, First Kings eight, is doing giving this prayer before God and before the people who are gathered. Um, and we're just going to highlight um, one verse um, in the con. But you got to keep in mind the context of. The temple, right? The house of God, uh, where God's presence, uh, you can think about it like this, right? So, just like with the tabernacle, God's glory cloud comes and fills uh, that space, uh, indicating God's presence is coming um, to fill that space. So, that happened with the tabernacle at the end of Exodus. And now it's happening with the temple, this new structure, a uh, permanent structure. Uh, and so that happens in, in, uh, in this context. But given that, it's really interesting what Solomon says in uh, verse 27. What does he say? So what is Solomon saying? Yeah, so even though there is a manifestation of God's presence in the temple in a particular way, and this is, really this forms a nice transition to what we're going to talk about next, uh, that doesn't mean that contains God in that space, Uh, which to an extent if you look through israel 's history there was a fault um, when they they began to think like well the temple is where God is so like if we're we're leaving our land or leaving the temple we're kind of under the the, the thought in the ancient world would be you're under the jurisdiction of another God but Solomon is very clear like that God um, Heaven and the highest heaven can't contain God. He's everywhere. He has jurisdiction everywhere. Um, He's present everywhere. Now, here's the thing. As we think about this, so these are like general texts and go-to texts about God's omnipresence. But you can't think about God having size or spatial dimension. Like, God doesn't have size. Uh, He's spirit. Uh, He doesn't have... Spatial dimension. So even though the scriptures are using this language of filling, it's just a way of communicating. Like he's everywhere present with the whole of his being. So it's it's not as if God is spatially uh, spread out, right? Like one part of God is over here and one part of God is over here. Uh, that's not how it works. Um, God is everywhere present at every point of space. Um, at least in the created universe, right? We would say. Uh, the, every point of space, God is a hundred percent present with the whole of His being. Um, he is wholly present everywhere. Would be a way of saying that. Okay, so those are kind of the generic texts on God's presence. Any questions up to this point? Okay, because now what I'm going to do is I'm going to put. Um, uh, we're going to start talking about other passages that speak of God's presence, and indeed we kind of already have with the First Kings 8 one, uh, where we do see passages that speak of things like the absence of God's presence, uh, and also, uh, or things like his presence as being localized. Okay, so they're having talked about and affirmed biblically that God is wholly present everywhere with all of his being, Uh, There are passages of scripture that indicate that God is uh, either absent or that His presence is localized. So let's just take what we were just talking about with uh, Solomon's temple, right? So the glory cloud comes and fills the tabernacle or the temple, right? And there's a special way that God's presence dwells in the temple right uh, like his, his presence is there and pre- he's he's everywhere present he's wholly present e- everywhere in the universe but it's very clear as we look at the tabernacle and the temple uh, in the scriptures that there's something very special about that particular spatial location um about where how god manifests his presence not that he isn't present elsewhere we know that's not true but the way he manifests his presence is very particular and unique and special. Um, and so uh, that, is, uh, that would be one example where God's presence is sort of localized in a way. Um, he's not contained, Solomon said that, but it's, um, he's manifested in a particular way. Uh, here's another one, example. Go to Psalm 16, 11. David is uh, speaking this psalm, and he concludes with verse eleven. Someone go ahead and read that. Okay, so um, what is David saying in relation to God's presence? Yeah, there's there's so David is David in this presence that he's talking about at this uh, moment? Like, is he he's talking about this presence of God? And he says that in that presence, there's fullness of joy. Um, is he in that presence as he's speaking this? Is David at God's right hand? Oh <laughs> yeah um. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So, that you're taking it more as the view that as that walks that path of life, there is a fullness of joy, versus the way I was reading it is that the path is leading to fullness of joy and the culmination of that. I think we would say that David doesn't experience the fullness of joy at any given moment in his life, right? Just like we would say, we experience joy as Christians, but we're not experiencing the fullness of joy because we're absent from God's presence, right? But I see the other, the flip side of what you guys are saying, too. So, um, it... Right, and we would acknowledge that, like, there's a sense in which we are absent from God's presence and the joy of that presence in a fullness um, that um, uh, even though we would say God is wholly present, right? So, again, it's just an example of the way Scripture speaks... About there being a localization of God's presence, a specific place of God's presence uh, that is, uh, in this case, brings fullness of joy. Right. So we we at one level we say, well, God is wholly present everywhere, but at the same time we want we listen to what Scripture is saying is that there is a localization or a very particular way that God's presence is manifested in different places. So you've got that in the temple, you've got that in um, the immediate presence of God. Uh, here's, another, here's another one. Um, go to John 14. Someone read John fourteen fifteen through seventeen. Let's get a backup just to get a little context. John fourteen fifteen through seventeen. Okay, so um, Jesus is talking, and he's talking about uh, really a transition in what's going to happen in redemptive history, and in particular in relation to the Spirit. The Spirit is God. Um, Where is the Spirit going to be? Dwelling in us. us. But he's not there yet, as of when Jesus says this, right? Uh, That's part of the New Covenant um, reality, is the indwelling of the Spirit. But then think about that in relation to God's presence, right? That, well, wait a minute, God is present everywhere, holy, with the whole of his being. We know that to be true. And yet then here again, here's this very specific example where God's presence is localized or at least manifested in a very particular way um, uh, in his creation. So I I hope you're seeing in all of this that Mm -hmm. though God's presence is wholly present everywhere, um, God's, he is present everywhere in different ways, or in different modes. In this case, what we've been seeing, fullness of joy, uh, even this in relation to the indwelling spirit, um, it's God's presence to bless. You could put it that way. God's presence to bless, um, in the case of the spirit, to empower the Christian life. Um, So, when we say that God is omnipresent, that doesn't negate the reality that God's presence is present in different places in different ways. It doesn't negate that there's times when God has a concentrated manifestation of his presence, say in the temple, or even to fast forward, in Jesus, or even in the church, the current manifestation of the temple. Um, the local church. God's presence is present in a particular way. Any questions on that? Because now I'm going to, in a second, I'm going to talk about um, at least one text on God's absence.
2: Would it be fair to say that the difference is more our awareness of his
1: presence
0: than it is that his presence is different? No, because um, uh, there, just because... Like, you could be unaware of God's... Like, think of the temple, right? So so someone could be unaware, you know, for whatever reason, that God um, was dwelling in a particular way in the temple. But that doesn't mean that God isn't dwelling in a very particular way in the temple. Because if you walk in, and you're not a high priest, and it's not the Day of Atonement, you're going to die because God is dwelling there in a very particular way. Even though outside of the temple, like in the courtyard... Right? God is wholly present there with 100% of his being. But there's a different way that that presence is manifested in the holy of holies versus not. So, yeah. yeah. Good question. I can say, too, even in the Old you Testament, know, examples
2: where, you know, the, the fourth man in the fire, a shadow in the shadow of the second, there was a manifestation of God's presence that was through, you know, a pretty manifestation,
0: or even... Possibly, the, yeah. Yeah, theophanies. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the different ways that
1: God did manifest himself in very, for different
0: purposes. Right. So there's like this kind of generic sense of God, is, ho- and he really is. God is wholly present everywhere with 100% of his being. But the way he manifests himself um, can change in different places. Okay. Yes, Bruce. Sure. or at least that you know as Romans 1 would say that we suppress the truth about God and unrighteousness so that there might even be awareness or well or we reject it right we reject that um Yes. not in every person. Correct. So, Nor yeah. is the spirit, right? Exactly. Right. That's, that's what it means. So, obviously, his presence universally is everywhere, <laughs> but he is not in everything. It's, it's, uh, okay. he's not, he is present everywhere, but he's not doing the same thing at every place. Yeah. Um, that's. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Rachel. So there's kind of a relative correlation similar to uh, common
1: grace versus Satan. Yeah. Same
0: yeah. Verse, yeah. Yeah. You better hope that you're not in a place where God is absent because, like, you wouldn't exist, right? Um, um, but, yeah, I think that's a fair point. Like, God's common grace versus special grace. Like, God, in all of the passages that we've talked about... God, whether the temple or, like, what, Psalm 1611, which we could, you know, fullness of joy in God's presence, which we could really even correlate with heaven, Revelation 21, which is kind of the end game. Like, um, it's God's presence to bless. It's it's that life-giving, uh, bountiful, good, joyful presence of God. Um, now, uh, let's go to another passage that talks about God's absence. Um. Go to Second Thessalonians one. Second Thessalonians one. Um, okay, let's start in verse five and go through verse ten.
2: of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed.
0: Okay, so hell is being described here and how is hell described? Away from God. Away from God right? Um, Now, take that and flip over to Revelation 14.10. Let's see, do I want just 10? No, uh, someone read Revelation 14.9 and 10. Okay, so here is an interesting um, reality, right? Um, first, second Thessalonians 1 talks about hell as being absent from God's presence. And yet, Revelation 14, the Lamb is Jesus, right? And arguably even, um, I think in 2 Thessalonians 1, you could, away from the presence of the Lord, uh, I think in context that might refer for also to Jesus. So in any case, right, um, you're talking about uh, one passage says that you're not in the presence, or those in hell are not in the presence of Yod, and yet Revelation 14 says you are. Um, how do you reconcile the two? Well, if we understand what we just said, that God manifests his presence differently in different places there are other places in the scripture too where it talks about being away from god's presence in some sense really that's once once the fall happened a uh, humanity is absent from god's presence right they're kicked out of the garden exile right um that idea and then the whole storyline is getting back into god's presence which is where revelation 21 happens uh, but what we see particularly for hell is that uh Absent from God's presence, and we would say it like this, absent from God's presence to bless. Uh, but God is present there, very much present. In fact, the lamb is present there, uh, overseeing the torture of those who are in eternal uh, torment. So God is very much present in hell. But he's present to, only to punish Um, So God is uh, wholly present everywhere in his universe, everywhere in the created universe. Um, He manifests that presence differently in different places. Uh, He manifests a presence to bless, um, you know, um, in the temple with his people and Christians through the spirit, uh, ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, On the flip side, in hell, God is wholly present with his being in hell, but to only to punish, not to bless, um, which is a very, uh, you know, sometimes you hear it said, well, God's not there, God is absent. Well, he is absent in a sense, but what is absent is any pity, any compassion, any, um, any hope for repentance, any hope for forgiveness at that point. Um, it, is a, it is a total um, absence of God's presence to bless, uh, which really is the horror of hell. Um, so, yeah, yeah Mike. Um, going back to the temple, yeah. it was sin that would not allow the priest to go into you know, holy and holy. And I would say that there is sin
1: separates from um,
0: God. Yes. It's separating from God's presence to bless. Yeah. And if you encounter God where he manifests his presence in a particular way, so like in the temple, the Holy of Holies, or even if you think Mount Sinai, right, when he's on the top and the thing's about to explode um, because it's... Why? Because God is in the presence in a particular way of sinful people, right? And he cannot dwell with sin um, uh, in the sense of a presence to bless, right? There's, there's, That can't happen. Um, so um, that's what we come away with in all of this is, yeah, God is wholly present everywhere with 100% of his being. He's not spatially distributed. God doesn't have dimension or size or anything like that, but he is... Uh, he is present differently in different places, and he acts differently in different places. And that's how you think of omnipresence. Yeah, Ned. I was thinking when, one man did, he explained I was in the room when I was looking at him. Yeah. I mean, it is. That's a concept. He did it he's not looking at you right now, and that's how the concept. Or he's not looking at you with favor would be would be a way of saying that, versus looking at you with favor, which is another metaphor in in Scripture, right? Living before uh, God's face, or God's face turning away from you, right? It's that communication of God's favor versus the absence of that favor. Yeah. Um, Susan. Right. Yeah right yeah right i th- i think it, it it's 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 got to be that idea of god like if you were to think about the full blast of god's um glory and like In life, right? Um, if you um, if you have sin, you cannot endure that and live, right? Um, but I think this idea of God's manifesting His presence in a different in different um, ways. Um, so, like when we talk about God is wholly present at a spot with the one hundred percent of His being, well, that doesn't necessarily mean He's there to, to bless, right? You can't enter God's presence to, God's, you can't enter God's presence to bless, right? You can't enter His favorable presence as as an evil person, and I think that helps kind of reconcile some of that. Um, when we think about Jesus, we got to keep in mind that, um, you know, Jesus is in John, especially you see this, but. Um, Jesus is considered the temple, right? Um, but um, Jesus is still, like, you don't see the full blast of God's glory in Jesus, right? Like, it's, it's I mean, just like the temple, right? Like, you, um, it, it's, you see a manifestation of God's glory. It's profound, uh, but um, it's not, like, full blast. Um, and that's kind of how... I think we can think through that a little bit. I hope that helps, but, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, but especially for an indwelling spirit in a believer, right? We have to keep in mind that in Christ we are so through repentance and faith we are united with Christ and we are counted as righteous, right? Um so 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 there's that reality of um uh, ah, the spirit can dwell in me <laughs> uh not uh because I'm counted righteous in Christ. Um so
2: No. You know, but they could enter. Why? Because they were carrying the blood of the sacrifice at the time, right? So if you've got Christ in you, you are carrying the blood of his sacrifice at all times.
0: Yeah, you're united with Christ, and that atonement has been applied to you. And so you are clean in in God's God's eyes, right? Even though uh, we know the presence of sin isn't, I mean, there's still still, uh, remnants of sin. We are not sinless yet. and, you know, there's still that reality that uh, only when we're glorified to the fullest extent will we enter uh, the, f- the fullness of God's presence, right? Like Revelation 21, and, and only when we've been fully, fully, fully cleaned, right, um, uh, will we enter the presence of the triune God and enjoy him without hindrance for all eternity. So... Okay, any other questions uh, before we close out? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, you are beyond our comprehension. Uh, Lord, even as we walk walk through these things, and especially the attributes that are unique to you, um, that we just don't, we have no conception really of what that would be like, other than the words that you give us in Scripture. Um lord we just stand in awe we praise you we praise you that uh, you have made a way for us for those who are in christ to know you to uh, be in your presence and lord if we thank you that we can look forward to the fullness of joy in your presence forever um lord we pray uh even as your temple uh, your local temple is about to assemble here for the gathering um, we believe you, Spirit, are present in a particular way amongst your people. And we pray that you would prepare our hearts for worship. Um, you would prepare our hearts for um, singing to you in your presence um, and uh, and loving you and rejoicing in what you, Christ, have done. Help us to hear from you in your word, Lord God, prepare us to receive it. Lord, we love you. Help us to live in light of the indwelling spirit you've placed within us. Help us, spirit, to uh, live in a way that honors, uh, honors uh, the Father and the Son. And we pray these things and ask them in the name of Jesus. Amen.